Hello, and welcome to Firmly Grasp It, a podcast about sports and all its being. I'm your host, Evan Greenberg. For today's episode of Quickly Grasp It, which is our fun history segment of Firmly Grasp It in 30 Minutes or Less, is just me and my main podcast guest, my co-host, you know him as the King of Jordan, Sammy Alshawebke. Sammy, how are you? Doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing well, and I know you're doing well, because for today's episode, we're doing one that you recommended and is definitely has a soft spot in your heart. And that is the 2007-2008 college football season. Yeah, this season for me is probably what got me into college football in the first place. Up until this season, you know, I would be watching games casually with my dad, who he went to LSU. And we would be casually watching LSU games. But this season got me hooked. And it's not even because of LSU. It's just overall this season just has so many twists and turns that we'll get into soon. Yeah, this is probably one of the first, maybe the first or second college football season that I really remember. I probably the first like time I remember it all was the 2005 USC Texas Rose Bowl game. And I guess I've started to trickle in from there. But this was the first season where just every week there was something to talk about. And every week there was some crazy news, which we will get into. But before we start, I have a quick question for you. Yeah. In the Les Miles era, would you say that this season, or the season that they lost in the national championship to Alabama when they were just a defensive juggernaut, which would you say was the best Les Miles team? The best Les Miles team, I would say, would be the defensive juggernaut one due to Les Miles himself was pretty much a, he was full of tricks. And I mean, both of these seasons, they, they really showcased a lot of tricks. And I know that, you know, we're going to get to his, what happened in the 2007 season, but that 2011 team, had just probably one of the most dominant defenses of all time in college football. And if they had won that Alabama game in the championship, probably would have been saying at least a top five, maybe top 10, maybe top five college football team of all time, just because they were hitting every single factor. They were just the most dominant team in the country up until the championship. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. I just wanted to get your viewpoint on it. That defense was incredible. They had so many talented players, a bunch of them having successful NFL careers, a lot of them going higher in the draft, similar to this year. But obviously their defense led the way more than the offense. And if you want to, we're not going to get into the whole should have Alabama made the championship game, considering that they lost in their conference championship. Let's just move on to 2007, 2008, a nicer time for your fandom. A nicer time with many, many, many twists. But you got to think back and see how it all starts. And from just week one itself, you would have what would be considered probably the most famous upset of all time, where you would have Appalachian State and Michigan, an FCS team and an FBS team. And Evan, I'm sure you're aware of how that game ended. Yep. And I, what I was thinking funny about this game, which Appalachian State, Michigan State was the number five team in the country going into the season, and Appalachian State and FCS team that nobody had really heard of upset them in a crazy manner, just an back and forth really exciting game too it wasn't like an ugly slop fest Appalachian State played really well this year Appalachian State and one other team that I'm sure we will get to later on this was like the beginning of their buddingness into relevance the other team probably more so but Appalachian State went from an unknown FCS team in 2007 to now they're in the FBS winning about 10 games a year and constantly making bowl games and they're like a solid just D1 team and this was the beginning of it all 
It truly was. And it all came down to a blocked field goal to defeat number five Michigan and to be the first ever FCS team to upset an FBS team. And this loss was just completely devastating on Michigan that they were the first team to be ranked in the top five and then completely unranked the following week. It was just unheard of. There was never happened before in the history of college football. And it's not like the next week was much kind on Michigan either because they would eventually get embarrassed by Oregon with Dennis Dixon at quarterback, who they were, I believe this was the first time I saw the Statue of Liberty play being used consistently. They pulled it off two, three times in that game. But eventually Michigan would find their way back at one point. But once we get later on the season, we'll bring them back. But mostly week one, that's what started off. Appalachian State over Michigan. Week two on the hand, had a few upsets, one being with South Carolina defeating number 11, Georgia. But the one I want to highlight the most is number 17, Auburn, losing to University of South Florida, USF. I'm sure this was the other team that you were mentioning that we were probably going to be highlighting about. No, it's not, actually. It's not? No, no. there's a team, another team that really wasn't relevant until this 2007 season, who also pulled a major upset, probably bigger than this one, maybe similar to the Michigan Appalachian State one, even if the, maybe, I will get into it. I don't want to spoil it, but no. At South Florida, they're a decent team now with Charlie Strong leading the way, but they're not a, anywhere near a perennial, well-known team. Well, as we continue with from week two to week three, within these first few weeks, we had about a decent amount of upsets. There was 13 upsets in the first month of the season, with some of them being highlighted with number nine, Louisville, losing to Kentucky, and a number 16, Arkansas, losing to a, and I want you to listen to this carefully, an unranked Alabama. Yeah, this was... Unheard of. Was this pre-Nick Saban, right? Or was this the first year of Nick Saban? This was the first year. Yeah, that team went what seven and five, seven and six. They were yeah. They they picked it up the next. It it didn't take them long to to become relevant in the country. Yeah, but this year was not that year. This was the one year where Nick Saban and Alabama were not a powerhouse. But then, as I mentioned, we go into week four, and there were four upsets in in that week. But the only one worth mentioning was number ten Penn State losing to Michigan, who. After being a disappointing start to the season, losing to Appalachian State and Oregon, they found their way to being number. They found their way to being number twelve after upsetting uh, Penn State. But their successes and failures. There's more failures than successes for that Michigan team, which I'm sure you, as a Wisconsin fan, would well well known more about. Truthfully, I mean, I knew about the Appalachian. This was before I was really into Wisconsin. For those of you who don't know, was my Wisconsin fandom stemmed from my two older cousins who both went there. Both of them, my first like older cousins who went to a big power conference. So this is probably when I was just starting to get into them. It was more, I guess, the basketball early on. This was the Alonzo Tucker days of Wisconsin basketball. But the football team, it was it was nice to see Michigan lose, but I don't have any real ill will towards Michigan football, really, just probably because they've never been an elite team in my entire life, unlike Ohio State. Well, Michigan, I've had some fans who always, some friends who are fans of Michigan who always say Michigan is back, similar to a certain team down south, but <laughs> they're never back, <laughs> no matter how close they be. <laughs> <laughs> but... 
the first the first month of college football, you saw 13 upsets, which I would say would be typical. You had maybe three or four upsets a week, maybe two in one week. First week, I believe, had two upsets, but Appalachian State over Michigan was the biggest takeaway from the first month. Then you reach week five. I mentioned that week one through four had 13 upsets. Week five, however, had eight upsets, five of them being in the top 10, and three of the four were in the top five. Number three, Oklahoma, lost to Colorado. Number four, Florida, lost to Auburn. And number five, West Virginia, lost to number 17, USF, bringing them back after them just having upset Auburn not too long ago. And then also in that top 10 was number seven, Texas, lost to Kansas State. Texas is not back, folks. And this is a fun one for you. Number 10, Rutgers, lost to Maryland. When was the last time you've seen Rutgers ranked, Evan? That was around the last, and that was the, uh, what's his name? Greg Schiano. That was the Greg Schiano days where Rutgers was a good team. That was the, like, Ray, the Ray Rice days. That was Felix Jones. Rutgers was relevant for, like, the early part of my college football existence, which in the history of the team, and especially looking at recent history, is kind of remarkable. But they're not even the least, they're not even the most surprising team to be a top team during this 2007-2008 season. Oh, for sure. Like They have not been relevant, really, since the Shiano days. And now that he's gone back, you probably could see them coming back again, or not even back, at least somewhat respectable, compared to where they were last year? Probably not. I They're in the Big Ten now, and it's just much harder to be competitive. Back in the football Big East, they had much better opportunities. But I do want to highlight USF, however, during this season. At this point, they had an incredible Cinderella run, having upset number 17 Auburn and number five West Virginia. And going into week six, they were ranked sixth in the country, the highest they've ever been. Week six is where more fun, the fun still goes on, where you had five upsets with the most notable being number two USC losing to Stanford. You also this had is number the other game that I was talking about. Oh, you're talking about Stanford. Stanford, yeah. This is the right around when Jim Harbaugh showed up because Stanford was just not a good football team for an incredibly long time. And then Jim Harbaugh showed up. This was a major upset. USC was the powerhouse of the mid 2000s. They won their one national championship, almost had the back to back as we talked about that 2005 season. And Pete Carroll was just on a roll. This was pretty much the end of it, but they had super high expectations. John David Booty was their quarterback. And then this Pac-12 Stanford team who no one really thought anything of about. They were just kind of the nerds of the Pac-12 showed up and huge upset and that was the beginning of really stanford football now that's been solid ever since and you know what the fun thing about that game was they they played that game with their backup quarterback their starter was injured for that game and there was one specific play it was a fourth and 20 where they needed a touchdown with less than two minutes to go to win the game and you know who caught that uh converting pass who sammy Super Bowl winning cornerback Richard Sherman. That is wild. That is a fun fact. He was a receiver on Stanford while playing defense at the same time. Yeah, that team went four and eight on the year. They weren't a good team at that point in any retrospect, but clearly having someone like Richard Sherman in the talent was beginning to appear. And then I also would like to highlight that during this week, number two, as you number two USC got upset by Stanford, number one LSU had just survived an upset by Florida and Tebow during the same week as well. So there were some scares of 
the number one and two going down in the same week, which had never happened in college football before. Also, did you mention the spread of that Stanford USC game? Wasn't it like 48 points, something like 40 and a half? 41. 41. 41 point favorite, and they lost 24 23. I think it was Michigan was a 48 point favorite over Appalachian State to start the season. I think that's what it was. That's possible because these, yeah, it's, I mean, the Michigan State, the Michigan one makes more sense because it's a, a top college football program versus an FCS team, but two, two teams in the same conference being a 40 point favorite that just shows you how dominant usc was at the time and how remarkable this upset was and this is really the first number two team falling in the country because that is a huge theme the curse of the number two. Oh, it only just begins because now that usc lost now we have a new front runner in the number two spot and also in the pac-12 the good old cal bears but before we even address cal though that same week where number one LSU had just survived Florida, the week after that, they were finally upset by number seven Kentucky in a wild, extremely wild triple overtime thriller that I still remember how they got stuffed on that fourth and two. And it, given how the season played out and how last season played out, I'm okay with it. But I remembered I was so upset with that loss. And that was the, that was the beginnings of how much I truly did not enjoy watching LSU lose any games. Before this point, I was just watching with my dad. I got invested because of this game. Yeah, this that I mean, there was just Tennessee wasn't good then. I mean, they're still not good now. That California team, though, they were very talented. Had several players who made solid careers in the NFL afterwards, including Deshaun Jackson, Justin Forsett, and a few others. Yeah, but what happened was that LSU had played just before Cal played during that day, so. You would have assumed that with LSU losing, Cal just needs to win to become the new number one team in the country. Problem is, their quarterback was hurt just before their game against Oregon State that same day, and they ended up being upset by them, which became the first time ever that the number one and number two team lost in the same week. Just one week after I said the number one and two team almost both lost in the same week. This was the first time you ever saw this happen, and that was just wild in college history. And usually, like, if you watch college football as much as we do year after year, you get that tease. You'll get the one week where one team does it or both teams are super close, and it never happens the following week. You kind of always hope that you're going to get those upsets, and this is the only time that it really did. And we're still early on. This is only week six, folks. But as we reach week seven, we see teams like Kansas. They're in the top 15. Kentucky and Arizona State, they were the seven and eight teams in the country. At this time, BC was the number three team in the country. And now your new number one and two were Ohio State and now USF, as we mentioned earlier on, that they had upset Auburn and West Virginia to reach this point. However, like all things, the number two team, USF, their incredible Cinderella run comes to a very sad end, being upset by, as we mentioned earlier, Rutgers. But at this point, Rutgers wasn't even ranked. And now Rutgers has been mentioned twice, and that's how you can see how much of a respectable team that Rutgers roster was given that now we see how they've planned out in the last 13 years since this season but it doesn't stop there for USF's disappointments because after week seven they ended up losing in week eight to an also ranked UConn team when was the last time you saw UConn ranked probably this year 
And by the end of week nine, we have had a total of 43 upsets in the entire country during this season, which was just absolutely unheard of. You would have maybe on average three, four, at most maybe five upsets a week. You're averaging, at this point, you're averaging almost seven, you've over six, just about almost seven upsets a week. And it was just unheard of. The polls were never consistent. A team went up and then the team would go down immediately. Anyone who's at the top would be killed off and brought to the bottom immediately. The level of parity in this season was just next level and really probably hadn't been seen before this year in a very long time and has not been seen since. As a few teams have come out as perennial juggernauts, this was not a year where any of the juggernauts showed themselves. But due to USF losing to Rutgers, the new number two team in the country was BC, led by our favorite, or at least one of our friend's favorites, Matt Ryan, who at this time was absolutely dominating the ACC. But just like the three previous number two teams we've mentioned, by week 10, they were upset by an unranked Florida State on a pick six, and they ended up dropping to number eight in week 11, who then later on to be upset again by Maryland, and then we don't hear from BC again this season. However, we, that upset by Maryland on number eight BC was not the most significant upset as number one Ohio State was shocked by Illinois that season. And at this point, you're starting to see that the number one team has been upset more times this season than any of the last few seasons combined. And then here's the thing, Evan. Number two USC, number two Cal, number two USF, number two BC. It's got to be coincidence, right? It's got to be... You would say that there would have been, there's a curse on the number two seed at this point. Maybe, but it's only been four teams, right? Four is uh, this was this was four teams. Yeah, it was it wasn't that bad. But the thing is, we hit week twelve. We after BC loses, number two Oregon is now the number two Oregon is now the number two team in the country. But just like all the other number two teams we've mentioned, their star quarterback Dennis Dixon went down with an ACL injury to get upset by unranked Arizona. And I also would like to highlight that during this week, number four, Oklahoma lost to Texas Tech, which was significant since that during this time, the college system was relied on the BCS poll, where the top two ranked teams at the end of the BCS poll were to make the national championship. There was no playoff like today. So Oklahoma was meddling in the top two, and then they got upset by Texas Tech, which made them drop significantly. Oh, this is you. This you're bringing me back. This is the Graham Harrell, Michael Crabtree. Like, Crabtree, this season alone, 134 catches, nine one thousand nine hundred sixty-two yards, and twenty-two touchdowns. And their second receiver was a guy you might know fairly well as Danny Amendola, who had 109 catches for 1,245 yards. That Texas Tech team has just always had just NFL level talent. They've always had the different head coaches and different schemes, but you always had some form of talent because also Patrick Mahomes, former Texas Tech quarterback. Baker Mayfield, former Texas Baker Tech Baker Mayfield. Kyler Murray at one point, I believe, too. No, Texas A&M. He was Texas A&M. Texas. Yeah. But this was, this was a... If you look at Mike Leach was the head coach of this Texas Tech team. Dana Holgerson was their offensive coordinator. Graham Harrell was the quarterback that was throwing all those yards. He didn't really do too much in the league. He was a backup for a long time. But there, this was just a fun time because going back to that Oregon team, 
this was the first year that Chip Kelly was their offensive coordinator. He came from University of New Hampshire. They plucked him out from the head coach there, put him as their offensive coordinator, and that's where Oregon, this was the first year that they exploded onto the scene. And Dennis Dixon was a potential Heisman candidate in this season too, until he went down with his unfortunate ACL injury, and we never heard from Oregon ever again this season. But I'd like to move on to week 13, where I want to mention that the number one team has been upset twice at this point, and the number two team has been upset five times. After Ohio State losing, the new number one team was once again LSU, my Tigers. Go Tigers. Always happy. But then the number two team was now Kansas. Kansas, Evan. The Jayhawks. The Charlie Weiss Kansas Jayhawks. With Aqib Tlaib in their defense as well. Yeah, they were they were legitimate. It's not like... Oh, no, I'm sorry. This is the Mark Mangino Kansas team. Not Charlie Weiss. Charlie Weiss came right after, I believe, and then they had to pay him like 30 million bucks to get rid of him. <laughs> but like every other number two team we've mentioned, this was the highest that Kansas has ever been ranked in their history. And as tradition sets, week 13... For the second time this season, and not just the second time in college football history as well, the number one and two teams were upset in the same week. And again, LSU lost in another triple overtime thriller to Arkansas. That Arkansas team really, really upset me. I hated that Arkansas team. That was the Darren McFadden team. Oh, I, lo- I actually love that team. They were... I mean, I loved back in the day. Now everyone loves a great passing game in college football. I loved a all-star running game and Arkansas and Derek McFadden provided that he was one of the better runners in college football. I've seen in the last 15 years. I couldn't stand him. I I couldn't stand him for sure. (laughs) And over the years, the next like four or five seasons, Arkansas pretty much peaked and then they've dipped down in their quality. Because after this season, they had talent such as Ryan Mallett as their quarterback, and Niall Davis was their next star running back on that team. Felix Jones but, was their other. But that, but that art, that one that beat LSU in the triple overtime, that had Darren McFadden, Felix Jones, and Peyton Hillis as their third running back. That's just that's that's like Georgia slash Wisconsin level running back eliteness, and they came from Arkansas. From Arkansas, but as well, even though LSU lost in the triple overtime. Kansas was faced up against number four, Missouri. In unsurprising fashion, and I know I already spoiled it already, number two, Kansas was upset by number four, Missouri, which Mizzou at number one is now the new number one team in the country. This was the Pat White, Missouri, right? Yeah, it was. Another just solid team for a time. Missouri was good for a few years, though. This wasn't the only year. It's not like Kansas where they never rose to prominence again. Here's the thing. Entering week 14, Mizzou was the number one team. West Virginia was the new number two team. And you would say that week 14 was the final week of the season before their conference championship games. And Missouri had to control both teams. They controlled their own destiny to getting to the championship. But the funny thing is, for the third time in college football history and this season, the number one and two teams were upset. Number one, Missouri lost to Oklahoma, who I believe was ranked nine at this point. And then number two, West Virginia, was were devastated by an unranked Pitt. And Pitt, just in their history, 
they would never be known as a good team, as like a like a solid, like you would consider them as a contender for a championship. But they were always that team that would always annoy the top teams in the league in the country. Most no, most recently with upsetting Florida State in the, when Jay had Jameis Winston, or even I'm Clemson saying, that one season. Years ago, that was the most recent one. In it just seems like they have this thing of they just hate the top two teams in the country, regardless. Regardless if they've won only two games the entire season. And this loss led to Rich Rodriguez quitting the West Virginia team and leaving <laughs> for their bowl game. And where did Rich Rodriguez go? ended up going? The University of Michigan. <laughs> it all comes full circle. Michigan losing to Appalachian State is the reason why they got Rich Rodriguez. Oh, the good old days. But what ended up happening, though, with this season is not just an LS, not just being an LSU fan, I was ecstatic with those two teams dropping. But luckily, it didn't happen for three weeks in a row where the number one and two teams, as Ohio State was able to close out and win the Big Ten, and LSU was able to defeat Tennessee in the SEC championship game to become the de facto one and two to be in the championship game. But before we talk about the game itself, I want to just highlight that at the end of the season, after 15 weeks, there were 73 upsets this season, 55 of them being an unranked team upsetting a ranked team, and 21 of them were against top 10 opponents. And then the number one team lost four times at the end of the season, and the number two team lost seven times, and those seven losses happened in the last nine weeks of the season. It's just unheard of. Yeah, the level of parity overall was just next level. When Mizzou and West Virginia were one and two, Ohio State was third and LSU was fifth. Now, L- now Ohio State is one and LSU is two. How does that happen? Because this season, just nothing makes sense. Correct. And then as we get towards the end of the season, Tim Tebow, Heisman winner. And then eventually we get the nice... The final upset of the season, if you go by technicality, number two LSU, led by my favorite, Matt Flynn, who got paid by Seattle Seahawks at one point, and Ryan Paraloo, a nice one-two quarterback duo to beat number one Ohio State to become the first BCS champion with two losses in a season, which definitely would not have been possible had the top five not have been disrupted every week for the final nine weeks of the season. Yeah, only two teams ended up with one loss this entire season out of any major conference. One of them was Kansas, but they didn't even play in their conference championship game because Missouri took over the Big 12 North. And then Hawaii, led by Colt Brennan, who broke pretty much every college passing record. Also, it's amazing that we've gone through all this and haven't even mentioned the first year of Tebow mania. That's how, like, Florida, Tebow was incredible. Florida, like, nationally wasn't as relevant besides Tebow. That's how crazy this year was. We didn't even have to bring up Tim Tebow and a and Mets legend Tim Tebow in a half hour episode. And and the thing is, my favorite part as as the LSU side of me of this season, obviously, I was very happy with how this season ended up, despite just all the ups and downs of them being the number one team, and then all of a sudden they're now the fifth team, and then they're back to number one, and then they're back to number five. This was probably the beginning of Les Miles' trickery style where they had the fake field goal against florida that resulted in them up not avoiding the upset by florida and then they also had a fake field goal for a touchdown in the late minutes of the fourth quarter against south carolina as well during this season it was just a fun season of less miles trickery and happy to see the mad hatter take his way down with kansas 
maybe bring them back as the now number two team, possibly in the future. <laughs> I'm definitely rooting for him down over there. <laughs> we'll see about that. And for me, this concludes the 2007-2008 college football season, also known as one of my favorite seasons of any sport ever. Definitely one of the craziest of all time, objectively. I had a lot of fun. This was this was some good memories watching these games. Yeah, I figured. This was a lot of fun for me, too, honestly. Just going through some of these teams and remembering the players. A lot of them not depending on the NFL, but their college careers were just so much fun to watch. And I'm glad you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for pitching it. Yeah, anytime. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. And hope all of you listening enjoyed it just as well. Make sure you follow us, Firmly Grasp It, on whatever podcast platform you listen on. You can follow us on Twitter at GraspIt2020. Email us at GraspIt2020 at gmail.com. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.